Hi, welcome back to Eight Words or Less. This is the podcast that distills leadership and management books into, surprise, surprise, eight words or less. Some of you know me already. I'm Sammy, and I'm one of your hosts. And I'm James. I'm your other host. So this week, we're looking at a book called How Will You Measure Your Life by Clayton Christensen. And actually, the book was recommended by an entrepreneur, a business leader, Robert Gardner, who will also be joining us for a bonus episode to share his views and, and to discuss the book a little further. So Clayton Christensen taught strategy at Harvard Business School. On the last day of class, he would ask his students to turn the lens on themselves and answer three questions. First, how can I be sure that I'll be happy in my career? Second, how can I be sure that my relationships with my partner and my family become an enduring source of happiness? And third, how can I be sure I'll stay out of jail? The first time he did this, it was a time of intense personal reflection for him. Clayton had been diagnosed with the same cancer that had taken his father's life. As he struggled with the disease, the question, how do you measure your life, became more urgent and poignant. In this book, Clayton shares his personal experiences and uses lessons from some of the world's greatest businesses to offer us insights into how high achievers can all too often fall into traps that lead to unhappiness. He says... When people who have a high need for achievement have even half an hour of extra time or an ounce of energy, they'll unconsciously allocate it to activities that yield the most tangible accomplishments. And of course, our careers provide that most concrete evidence that we're moving forward. You ship a product, finish a design, complete a presentation, you can close a sale, publish a blog, get promoted. In contrast, Investing energy and time into your relationships with partners, children, friends, and pets, they don't typically offer that same immediate sense of achievement. Clayton goes on to say kids can misbehave every day, but it's not until 20 years down the road that you can put your hands on your hips and say, I raised a good child. So you can neglect your personal relationships, and it doesn't seem as if they're deteriorating on a day-to-day basis. But people who are driven to excel have this unconscious propensity to underinvest in their families and overinvest in their careers, even though the research shows us that the most loving and intimate relationships with families are the most powerful and enduring source of happiness. The book organizes various business theories and life applications into three key areas, career, relationships, and integrity, to ultimately answer the question, what causes us to implement a life strategy that we didn't intend to So James, what is your central message in eight words or less? So my central message is don't leave your life's purpose to chance. So my first pedal talks a lot about our career. And uh, actually, the pedal is that bad hygiene causes dissatisfaction. Now, obviously, I think this applies to more than just our careers. It's probably uh, pretty uh, pretty relevant for most things in life. But in this instance, it's in reference to the work of Hertzberg. Clayton Christensen talks a lot about this and, and the difference between hygiene factors and motivation factors. Your hygiene factors are quite basic. They're things like job security, well-being at work, fairness and non-discrimination. And also, and I think this often can come as some surprise, it's also money. And the important thing is, uh, and I know, Sammy, you teach us quite a lot, the important thing is no one's saying hygiene factors are not important, right? They're, they're crucial. You have to get them right. 
Um, and if you have bad hygiene, you cause dissatisfaction. I think the point that Clayton uh, gets across so powerfully is that is not enough. The absence of dissatisfaction is not the same as satisfaction. And too often we focus on hygiene, including money, and neglect the motivation factors. Yeah. Well, good hygiene, the argument says, stops you from getting sick, but it doesn't make you any healthier. So when I'm working with motivational theory and leaders, people will accept normally job security, as you say, working conditions, quality of management, company policy. Well, they're good maintenance factors. So they might stop you from getting demotivated, but those things don't make you any more motivated. Until, James, I add money into that, and then it becomes almost people storming out. (laughs) Of course, money has to be there. But there are certain motivators or growth factors like a sense of achievement, recognition, responsibility, nature of a work. We all know about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, or Dan Pink, he talks about mastery, autonomy, and purpose. Those things can get you beyond an expected level of performance. They are the real motivators or growth factors. So money, of course, has to be there, but up until a certain level, it doesn't help you to become any more motivated. And I often ask the question, how many of you have chosen a job for less money? And often a lot of hands go up in the room. Yeah. And I think it's a really useful insight. I think it is important both as a manager and a leader and from the the lens of looking at our own career. And and Clayton argues that it's not that money is a root cause of professional dissatisfaction, but the problem starts when it becomes a priority over everything else. So from our personal career perspective, he says that this can, can quite often be unintentional. You come out of university and you say, okay, this job isn't my passion, but it pays well, um, and I can use it to pay the bills and to, to build up some savings, and then I will switch to follow my dreams. But often what happens is that again, quite unintentionally, our our lifestyles often rise to meet our income and they become quite difficult to then reverse. Clayton was reflecting on his sort of cohort of MBA students and and he found that a lot of them ended up getting locked into jobs that were never their passion and perhaps weren't giving them the same level of satisfaction they would have got from other areas but they made the choice for hygiene factors. They never recognized that. And then they were unable to switch because their lifestyles kept on rising to to absorb all of their increases in income. And so I think from the lens of a a personal career perspective, it is worth maintaining that view of, am I only doing this for hygiene factors? And is that restricting me from getting more satisfaction? From a, a leader perspective, I imagine quite a long time, the default to, to trying to retain employees or increase job satisfaction might be to try and pay more. But uh, that, what Hertzberg says and what Clayton Christensen is arguing, I think, very powerfully is actually there is so much more that's, that's important linking people's work to uh, outcomes, thinking about uh, recognition, thinking about a uh, challenge and contribution and career growth uh, is, according to these theories, and, and I would resonate this, is, is actually more important. Yeah, and our passion and our values. And I think, you know, that can help us plan our careers, think about what will give us most satisfaction and help ensure that we are taking purpose from our lives and it helps make sure that we don't leave our lives purpose to chance
Brilliant. Thanks, James. And what is petal number two? The petal we've just talked about, Sammy, is about how to think around your career or your life in general, professional and personal, to ensure that it is delivering satisfaction and fulfilling a purpose in your life. The second petal is more about what you do rather than what you say you'll do. It is the practical steps around how you implement a strategy to actually make what was important to you, make that purpose a reality. And I think there were two elements that really came through for me, Sammy. The first is Clayton talks a lot about the difference between an emergent strategy and a deliberate strategy. And again, like always, he uses corporate uh, examples and theories and applies it to personal life. So in this case, because the book was written a while ago, the corporate example was around Honda coming into the US. You know, They started with a deliberate strategy, obviously underpinned by spreadsheets and PowerPoints saying that we're going to take on Harley Davidson. But actually that was failing spectacularly. And, and what happened was purely by chance. Someone took one of their lighter bikes out and went for a ride in the hills and Honda were able to shift into this space that was completely untapped and, and it was wildly successful. The key there is that difference between deliberate and emergent. They went in with a deliberate strategy. It wasn't working and they were able to pivot to meet what was quite a serendipitous event. And Clayton says this is crucial in our personal life, we have to start with a deliberate strategy. Otherwise, we're going to be beset by chance from, from the outset. But we also have to realize that life is not predictable and that things will change that will could look like they're going to derail us or could look like they're giving us this new opportunity. And the important uh, element is to recognize that, that that is a valid strategy as well. Adapting to those changing events is that emergent strategy. And as long as we do adapt and we focus our resources, our time and our energy accordingly, it's a very valid way of making sure that you're still focused on delivering your life's purpose. Yeah. And purpose statements don't have to be locked in. They evolve over time. But the key thing is for leaders to be intentional about their communication with employees to directly link the words with the actions or to direct resources behind us. And I think often as leaders, we're having these conversations at a high level, but it isn't really clear to the employees or even society that they're publicly committing to something and then following through on that action with, with some evidence, if you like. Yeah, and if if they're not doing that, then the resources of the company are actually not well focused on delivering that company's purpose. And 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 it's spot on, Sammy, because that's exactly what Clayton says we tend to do as individuals. And you know, the example he gives is particularly around ambitious people, where they might say you know, to themselves and deeply believe this, that family is the thing that's most important to them. But then you look at where they're actually spending their resources, their time and their effort, which is as individuals, those are our resources. And the reality is they're not spending it in that way. They'll be spending it instead uh, at, at work uh, in, in things that might derive more immediate satisfaction. But isn't aligned with their purpose. He asks us, you know, this idea of if you have an extra 30 minutes and you're finishing work up, how often do you say, I'll take that extra 30 minutes and go home and spend time with 
with my children if you have them or or whatever is important to you and, and linked to that purpose and how often do we actually do the opposite and say oh well, you know what i'll just buy out a couple more emails or, or i'll just work on that presentation and i don't know about you Simon, but quite often i'm falling into the trap of, of that latter while i would say without a shadow of doubt my family is the most important thing to me sometimes the thought of coming home and and uh, maybe changing some nappies or or <laughs> you know even even sort of hanging out with my son or, or would take a back seat unintentionally to that immediate priority of getting those extra emails out or focusing on that presentation. But that is not aligned with what I would consider my life's purpose. Yeah, we don't always take enough care of what we're doing in the moment. And I love that saying, James, how you do anything is how you do everything. And because perhaps there's a lack of awareness or consciousness around these things, that's how I think we can find ourselves heading off course. I talk about the one degree shift. Well, if we take a one degree shift or a bad action now, or not a bad action, perhaps an unresourceful choice, 10 years down the line, you can imagine where that one degree shift will take us. And it's somewhere entirely different. And that's why, uh, Sammy, I felt this idea of it's not about what you say you'll do, it's about what you do, is so important to ensure that we don't leave our life's purpose to chance. James, what is your third and final petal? It's interesting, Sammy, you you mentioned briefly, I, I hadn't heard the phrase before, but is it Anything we do is important as everything we do. Is that right? Yeah. How you do anything is how you do everything. Yeah. And what I like about that is, is the importance of consistency. I'm not sure if I'm getting that, that the sense of that phrase, but that in a way is the heart of my final petal. And it links back to that those questions you raised in the, in the summary, Sammy. And one of them is, how do we make sure we don't end up in jail? And as always, Clayton starts with sort of business theory or, or, or examples from business and then applies it to our personal life. And the example he uses is the battle between Blockbuster and Netflix. And what's interesting, he says, is just how blind Blockbuster was. Right? And it might be easy to look back and say, well, it was obvious Netflix was always going to force bankruptcy. But the trap that Clayton says Blockbuster fell into was that of marginal thinking. They didn't look at Netflix as the real challenger they were. They kept on saying, well, this is a marginal part of our business. Or if we change this, we might lose this income stream. If we adjust, then we're going to have to uh, make these people redundant. It was always in those tiny marginal steps. And Clayton says, this danger of marginal thinking can threaten our ability to really live our life's purpose. And the way he says this most often manifests itself is in this phrase of just this once. Mm. And he, he talks about a number of ways in which this can happen. He talks about big fraud cases and he talks about big Nick Leeson and how Nick Leeson didn't necessarily start off thinking he was going to commit the largest fraud in, in history up until that point. He started off by making a mistake and not being honest about it. Instead, he covered up that mistake and said to himself, probably, that this was just one mistake. I'll cover up for it now, and you know, I can go back to being an honest and upright person. And, and that one mistake was quite small, but because he said just this once, he covered that up again and again, and suddenly his life was going massively off track. 
Yeah, I guess it's about knowing your values and your purpose. We said in Petal too, your purpose can evolve, but just being more intentional, putting more consciousness around it. And then the key for me, James, is having people who give you meaningful feedback along the way. I'm amazed how few leaders I work with have a coach. And I think it's perhaps the best investment that a leader can ever make. Because evolving your awareness is going to have a profound impact on everything and everyone in your life. And they're the people, if you like, who either hold a mirror up or turn the periscope, whichever metaphor works, but the critical friend who's able just to give you feedback to make sure that just that once mentality doesn't take you off course. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I think in a way that's the essence of the book. I mean, he's not trying to tell us what to do, but just to think about that threat. And I thought Clayton was quite interesting. He said that it's easy to tell yourself that it's you know, the reason you're missing something is because of an extenuating circumstance. But he argues that life effectively is just a continuation of unending extenuating circumstances. And when you cross that line, when you use that phrase just this once, you will end up using it again and again. And almost without knowing it, you are you are again letting your life's purpose be dictated by external events. Yeah, and I love what's emerging in our conversation around not being dogmatic about values and purpose, but also being aware of the other side of the spectrum, which is just this once. And I can only speak for myself, but when I look back on my journey, I think I was addicted to that busyness um, probably as a numbing strategy. And I used to call it being conscientious or driven or ambitious. And so what I used to justify as just this once, I wonder if for me it was kind of a form of escapism. On reflection, I think coaches have helped me to realize I was wearing some of that as a badge of honor. So I wasn't being as purposeful as I could because I was trying to justify my title or my salary or proving that I was doing my part. And the good news is by having those critical friends around me helping me to stay on track, it's never too late to come back onto purpose. So you can always be more mindful and come back to that path. Yeah. And and by doing that, you are then reducing the impact of external events and, and chance on dictating your life's purpose. And so, Sammy, coming to the end of the third petal, that means my central message is... So your central message, James, is don't leave your purpose to chance. Ah, very close, Sammy. Don't leave your life's purpose to chance. Life's I purpose. think it's close enough. Yeah, yours is even more powerful. Well, thank you, James. And thanks, of course, to the authors and all of our listeners. Use a hashtag, eight words or less, to share your thoughts, experiences, any book recommendations that you have for season two. And hit subscribe. Bye for now. <laughs>